The big idea that I have for tonight is that a life in the fire of God is normal. Let me say that again. A life in the fire of God is normal. It's what we should look for. It's what we should hunger for. We need God and we need His fire in our lives. And the absence of that means we're missing out on something that He's prepared for us. We often miss it. You know, plenty of people I know, I move in all kinds of circles, and plenty of people I know say, yeah, man, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, well, how would I know? That's not a criticism. That's like a, let me, let me see the fruit of that. Because we walk around saying things, but not necessarily living by the fruit of what we say. And the fire of God is something that's so transformational, there's no doubt. There's no doubt to anyone that's around us that that fire has touched us and changed us. So tonight I want to talk about the five issues that I've experienced. I'm sure some of you have also experienced the issues that, that cause us to fall away from the life that God's prepared for us. The first issue that um, I think I've bumped into several times is what I'm calling aimless. Aimless. So it's an issue. And aimless means lacking in direction or lacking in momentum. Some of you tonight might feel like you don't know where you're going. That would be aimless. Some of you feel like you've been stuck for a while. You're like, oh man, I've had this, I've had this life like this Christian life for so long, and it's not changing, and I see others around me, and I'm not moving ahead. Well, that's also called aimless, and it's an issue, and it affects the church. The second thing that I want to talk about tonight that could be an issue, and, and I suppose I've experienced it from time to time, is what I'm calling bland, being bland, which really means just looking like everyone else around you. For many years, I worked in a large corporate office as a Christian, and most of my workmates didn't know that I was saved. I was bland. I looked like all of them. I might have done all the things that they did, but I was bland. I just didn't look different. The third thing that could be an issue for some of us is what I'm calling untested. We're untested in the life that Jesus gave us. Another way to describe that would be immature. Our faith is immature. It hasn't grown to reach the level that it should. Fourth thing, some people live a powerless life. Jesus says to his disciples, just wait, tarry here until the power from heaven turns up and then you'll know what to do. Some people are still waiting. They have this life that is lacking supernatural evidence, lacking supernatural evidence. And I'm going to use a character from the Bible to show us that. And the far, fifth and final, the, the issues that I, I want to touch on, I'm trying to speak to a wide range of people tonight, is the final one is missing the mark. Sometimes sin is called missing the mark. Some of us are living a life where we miss the mark. We, we have this lack of holy fear and reverence before the God of the universe, and it means that we don't live in his fire. So tonight, the opportunity for every single one of us, myself included, is that we can step away from those issues. We can step away from being aimless. We can step away from being bland. We can step away from being immature and untested. We can step away from being powerless, and we can make sure we don't miss the mark, because that's what God's prepared for you. I don't know how he's going to do that. I don't get to tell God what to do. 
but all I get to do is create an environment where people can respond to what he's doing and then he does the work. And that's what tonight's about. That's why we gather like this. It's why we put effort into preparing the atmosphere to get rid of the issues so that you can step into that place where the fire of God falls. That's what Moses did. Climb Mount Sinai, had a chat with God, and God says, I'll bring the fire, you bring the people. Well, that's what he said to me. I'll bring the fire, you bring the people. And I thank you for being here. Thank you for being hungry. Let's look at the Bible. I hope you bought your Bible or a phone or something. Because I've, I'm going I'm to use it tonight. I hope you don't mind. But I find the Word of God brings the revelation that changes us. Because I can tell you some funny stories. I can tell you, you know, things about my life that would make you cry. But that's not as powerful as using the Scripture to bring the revelation that opens up the Holy Spirit's opportunity to work. So aimless. You could be aimless like Moses. Wandering in the desert, lost, not sure who you were. You heard some stories once that kind of like implied that you were special, but you're not seeing that. In Exodus chapter 3, we read the story. Many of you will know it about Moses going for a walk in the bush and in the desert, and he finds the burning bush. It says in Exodus 3 verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and have a look. So when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. He stepped into that place where he encountered the fire of God and his life was not the same after that. You read in verse 10, God challenges him. Now go. God says to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Well, he's suddenly got a purpose. He's got something to do. Verse 12, God said, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. He's giving Moses some direction. Finally, in verse 14, because Moses was complaining. You can read the story. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God is making sure that Moses is no longer aimless, but he is moving in a direction. And he says, oh, by the way, I'll be with you. So Moses has this encounter with the fire, and it shifts him from a place of being aimless. What does that mean for you? Get in a place where you can have an encounter with the fire of God. Because one of the things that I've experienced in submitting myself in that is that suddenly I start to hear what he says to me. Suddenly I start to hear things. Suddenly I start to see things. A season in my life where I sat at home not knowing who I was or what I was supposed to be doing. It wasn't that long ago. We were living in Gordonton and I, my business was not doing so well and I really didn't know what was up. And I'm like, God, where are you in all of this? And I remember at the time I was... I was listening to that Will Regan album, and he's, he's, he's got some beautiful songs in it about just, God, I want you to change me and fill me with that fire. And in the place where I would sit in my office weeping and crying before God, saying, God, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. The encounter with the fire led me to the place where I saw I was no longer aimless. God led me where he needed to take me. And we see that in Exodus 40. 
If I could just finish the story of Moses with the end of Exodus 40, and it's verse 34 to 38. Moses has been leading the people because he now knows what he's doing. He's no longer aimless. It says, The cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter because the cloud and the glory filled that place. Whenever the cloud lifted the tabernacle, the people would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud didn't rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. This continued throughout their journey. See, the people of God realized they could follow God because they had a relationship with Him. And that's one of the beauties that comes out of seeking out the fire of God is that you begin to have a relationship with Him so that when He moves, you move. You're no longer aimless because you're following Him. And I pray for some of you tonight that you'd catch that, that you wouldn't just stay stationary and go, oh, well, sucks to be me. I'll just wait. Well, yeah, wait, but wait for the fire. When the fire falls, follow it. Moses is no longer aimless. He has purpose in his life. The second issue that I talked about after being aimless was being bland. That meant like looking like everybody else. There's an interesting story in 1 Kings chapter 18 about the prophet whose name is Elijah. And there's a whole bunch of prophets there. There's a whole bunch of people saying stuff and doing stuff, and they're having this kind of whoop-whoop party, and they're going to do some weird things, and, and Elijah's saying, come on, God, make me look different. Because he's not like the others. He's not, he's not, um, he's not compelled to operate like, like the false prophets and the ones who are misleading the people. So he sets up this little competition. He says, okay. Let's all gather together and we'll have this time of worshiping and, and, and the God that's the real God, he'll turn up. And so you can read the story, the whole of chapter 18, but these, these false prophets, they gather all these things and these bulls and they cut themselves with blood and they dance around and they chant and, you know, they're looking like they're having a holy time. Nothing happens. God doesn't show up. And after they've exhausted themselves, Elijah says, well, actually, I'm different. And here's how you know that. He says, let's, take the, let's make the altar, and let's put the animal on the altar as a sacrifice before God. And actually, why don't you cover that sacrifice with, with buckets of water? Pour the water over it, and actually dig a trench around it, and fill that with water too, because that never, ever attracts the fire. Water doesn't attract fire. And then he just prays. Elijah said, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has a whole bunch of crazy people. Bring two bulls, the prophets of Baal, choose what they want to do and cut in pieces and don't set fire to it. I'm going to make an offering and I'm going to set it up and I won't set fire on it either. And then what we'll do is we'll call God and we'll see what happens. He's trying to set himself apart. And then we read down in verse 36. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you are God and you've brought people back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven 
and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. So the fire consumed the stones. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. When you, when you ask for the fire to come, God is going to set you apart. He's going to prove that He is God and you are His servant if you make yourself humble. It's the best way to make sure that you're not bland, you're not blending into the crowd, that you're not diminishing the name of God by the life you live. The fire is what makes the difference. The third man I want to talk about is someone who was a little immature and was untested, and his name was Shadrach. He was living amongst the people, and he was, he was doing the right things. Like, his behavior was good, but, I mean, all that did was make his skin glow. He was healthy and could answer a few questions. Well, some of you were good at school. I, pro- I wasn't that good at school, but, but even the people who are good at school and bright and do really well and even look good, was that kingdom fruit? I don't know. But then the test came. All you have to bow down to the statue of the king and worship him, for he is the God on earth. Shadrach's like, that's a test I'm going to fail, because I ain't doing that. Remember the story? He's got a couple of mates, remember? And the king Nebuchadnezzar gets really angry and furious because he's, he's, he's bringing shame on the king. The king gets so angry, he says, turn the heat up in the furnace. Make the fire hotter than it's ever been. Throw those three boys in the fire. It's in the book of Daniel chapter 3. He said, made the fire so hot that when they threw the men and the young boys into the fire, the guards perished from the heat. You read the story, eh? You heard it before. You know what it says? The king in his anger demanded a hot fire in the furnace. The flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, tied securely, fell into the roaring flames. But God, they're in the fire. Suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we throw three men into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Well, look. Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around the fire, unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a God. When you get into a place where God tests you in the fire, He is with you. What happened to those young men is Nebuchadnezzar said, oh my goodness, I made a mistake, we've got to get them out. They didn't even smell like they'd been in smoke. They didn't smell like they'd been in fire. They were untouched and unharmed. Why? Because they had been tested and Jesus came and stood with them and proved that they were different. Sometimes the fire is a test. Sometimes the fire gives us strength. Sometimes the fire leads us. Whatever it is, without the fire, we're immature. We're untested. Fourth thing I talked about was living a life without power, being powerless. Like a guy called Peter. Peter who lived with Jesus, Peter who walked on water, Peter who, who testified to Jesus as the risen Lord, finally, lived a life without power. How do I know that? Read Acts chapter 1. 
Jesus says to him, let's look at it, Acts 1 verse 8, wait here. He says, wait here because you don't have power. Wait here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. How do we know we've got power? Because you've got power to testify to what God's done. You've got evidence of supernatural life. You've got a testimony. One of the things that really challenges me that I can't control is that I don't have the power to heal anyone. Frustrates me. I wish I could just do it all the time. But it's not my experience. Some people I pray for get healed, others not. I've told the church the story of the young girl in Indonesia who prayed for hours one night because her arm was all shriveled and she was in living in shame. And the bondage of her shame of what she'd done to her family had caused a physical disability. And I desperately wanted to see her healed. I wanted to see that arm stretch out and lift up and give God glory. But I can't make that happen. Only he can. It's the absence of supernatural power. It frustrates me. What does it cause me to do? Go back to the fire. Time and time again. When the healing does come, I'm happy to give God all the glory. But we can't live a power, we can't be satisfied living a powerless life. We can't be satisfied living a life that doesn't have evidence that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's, it's, it's written in the Bible, but I've got to have a life that proves it to be true. Some of you think that's okay. Peter waits. What does he do? He says, well, Jesus said it was coming, so let's pray for it to come. Jesus said it would be ours to appreciate and to apprehend, so let's do that. In Acts chapter 2, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were in the upstairs room praying. What were they praying? Your kingdom come. Your will be done, as you said, on earth, as it is in heaven already. That's what they were praying. How do I know? Because that's Jesus, how Jesus taught them to pray. And it says, the Holy Spirit fell on them like tongues of fire. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they started praying in other languages. It says that there were Jews, devout Jews from living all over the regions who were in Jerusalem for the festival who heard the noise and came running. And they said, how can these men pray in our language when they are not from our nation? The Holy Spirit, supernatural evidence of a life changed. Supernatural evidence. It's how God designed us to live. God designed us to live in the fire. God designed that the fire, His holy fire, would be our normal. Anything less gives me no satisfaction. I want to pursue that. I want a position for it. I want to receive it whenever I can. I want to be seeing His fire poured out. So with Moses, we see fire that calls out. Fire that calls someone out into a life so they're no longer aimless. Some of you tonight, God's going to call you out by his holy fire. He's going to say, hey, you, I've got something for you to do. Nothing gives me greater joy than someone from the church family or someone I'm working with coming to me saying, oh, I just heard God say this to me. What should I do with it? That's awesome. That's awesome. Because they've connected with the source of the calling. They've connected to the burning bush. We've got a, a fire that consumes us, like the fire that was before Elijah. It should be our lives on that altar. It should be us that says, God, take it all and leave nothing. Consume every part of me. Like Elijah saw with that 
that offering that he brought on the mountain of Carmel. It's a fire that consumes us. We should be like Shadrach and his friends. We should see the fire that separates us, that makes us different. We should see that fire that sets us apart so we're no longer the same as everyone that we work with or live with. We want to be a testimony to God's fire so that people ask us what's going on in our lives. That's why we come before the fire. That's why we have nights like this where we go, come on, God, bring the fire. Set me alight. Consume me fully. Nothing of me and all of you. That's the kind of fire that changes our lives and gives us the purpose that he gave, you know, that, that is going to change our world. And finally, Peter and all his friends in the upper room, fire that anoints us with supernatural power to do what Jesus did. Fire that anoints us is what we should hunger for. The fire that anoints us should be constantly in our focus and our desire, God, more and more and more. If only I could contain that. It's a fire that calls out, fire that consumes, fire that separates, and fire that anoints. But there's one thing left I didn't talk about. Because the fifth issue that we carry in our lives, and it's biggest in the church, I find, missing the mark. Sin is just described as missing the mark, missing the mark that God set for us. And I hate to tell you, there's a higher standard for you than there is for the world. Why? Because you know the truth and they don't. So they'll be judged for not surrendering their lives to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Jesus desires that none would be lost, but the day is coming when they will be judged. But us will also be measured. Why? Because we know the truth. And missing the mark, me, you, it's just something we've got to avoid. And the way we avoid it is to become before the one who is the fire. This week I've been reading Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to preach out of it next week. There's one little verse, the end of Hebrews chapter 12, that's just captivated me. Verse 28 and 29, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, We are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to have hope that we're receiving things that are unshakable. That's next week's sermon. You come back for that. But we've got to understand that we've got to come before God with worship and holy awe. Please, in this next set of songs, don't stand there going, oh, I wish I knew the words. I don't care what you sing. Come before him in holy awe and fear and trembling because he's the God of the creator of the universe. And you should do that every time, whether you know the words or not. Whether the band is in key or not, whether the radio is loud or soft, you should come before God with holy fear and trembling because he deserves it. There's no other response acceptable. We get to receive an unshakable kingdom because of what he did, and we go, oh, yeah, I wish I knew the words. Come on. Get shaken by what God's doing and come before him because God is a devouring fire. The person who wrote that, I don't know who it is, there's an argument about it, it's not the point. The person who wrote it is quoting Moses who wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4 verse 24, Moses writes, God is a devouring fire. The original language says he's an all-consuming light. 
So you come before him, it'd be like standing in front of the headlights on full, the biggest spotlights on a, maybe on a naval spotting ship, you know, those big floodlights. You'd be standing there, it's, nothing's hidden. It, it covers every part of you. You can't escape it. God is an all-consuming fire. What does all-consuming mean? Nothing is not consumed. What should your life be like so that you don't miss the mark? Nothing is escaping his light. Don't let any part of your life be hidden from God because he wants to consume everything. He wants to give you that, that, that uh, unshakable kingdom. But sometimes we go, oh, yeah, God, but I've got this. I'm just not really feeling ready. Like if only I was like okay, you know, with really how I was feeling, then I might respond to you and what you're asking me to do. How is that holy fear and trembling? You can't, it's, it's A.W. Tozer that says you can't use the word no and Lord in the same sentence. If you're saying no, he's not Lord. But the point is this. God wants us to live with him, all-consuming, and he made it possible. I was reading some, doing some study on this this afternoon, Exodus 25. I uh, won't bore you with the details, but the short version of the story is they built the tabernacle for God to dwell in on earth, to be with his people. And inside the Holy of Holies, they made the Ark of the Covenant. It's a box covered in gold, and they put some special stuff in it. On top of the box, they had these two cherubim, had big wings that touched each other, and they covered the lid. It's called the mercy seat of God. And in that place, the consuming fire and presence of God came and dwelt. And the, whole, the, priest, the high priest, Aaron, was only allowed in there once on the Day of Atonement, and he better hope he got out again. That was how they lived. But how many know when Jesus was on the cross, the curtain to the temple of the Holy of Holies was torn from the top to the bottom. Why? So you and I could access the Holy of Holies. So you and I could access the presence of God. So we could come into the place where the Shekinah glory of God consumes us because he is an all-consuming light. My God is a devouring fire. It's how he wants us to live. But it gets even better than that. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, hey, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? You and me together are the temple of God. And he says, Paul writes, the Spirit of God lives in you. Oh, so instead of there being the Ark of the Covenant where the Shekinah glory of God burns forevermore and the priest only comes in once on the Day of Atonement, guess what happened because of Jesus Christ? The Spirit of God comes and lives in you. The fire, the all-consuming fire, the all-consuming light of God lives in you and me. Paul writes to the church in Colossus and he says, church, 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 there's been a mystery for a long time, but I'm finally able to tell you because I've worked it out. Why? Because it's real for me. He says, listen to this church. This message was kept secret for centuries and for generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. Is that you? Well, just check. This message has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted you to know the riches and glory of Christ are for you. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. It's your hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The all-consuming light and the fire of God is living in me. That means that I don't have to miss the mark. I can live in the fullness of God if I surrender my life and say, set me on fire, God. Take every part of me, God. Don't hold back so that I can have a life 
where I don't miss the mark, where I don't miss the best that you've got available for me. Because I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to be aimless. I don't want to be bland. I don't want to live a life where I'm, I'm untested and immature. I don't want to live a life where I'm powerless. Let the fire of God come. If I can get the band to come back. This is the life God's designed for us to live. This is the life for you and me. It's, it's his normal he makes available to us. The reason I was studying the tabernacle this afternoon, I wanted to get my words right. I didn't want to make a mistake. Because it's referred to, it's not written in the text, but it's become known as the, the fire that sat on the mercy seat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God. The all-consuming fire that stayed there all year. You know what that word means? It means abode. A place of dwelling. So when Christ says, when Paul says Christ lives in you, it's the hope of your glory. The Shekinah glory of God lives in you. That means it's the abode of God. It's his dwelling place. That's what should give us the hope that the life we can live is a life of fire. Come into the fire of God because he is the hope of our glory. The band are going to lead us in some songs. And we're going to open up and we're going to let God do what God wants to do. Please, don't hold back. If you feel like you're living a life that's aimless, come before him and let his fire consume you and lead you. If you're living a life where you feel you've got no power or you've got no direction or you just don't, you don't feel like you've given him everything, just come and get on your knees before him. Say, God, take everything I am. Make me more like you. That my life is on fire for you. That I can't be the same. Don't hold back. Don't miss the mark. Don't miss what he has for you. Because living a life in the fire of God is the way He designed for us to live. Why don't you stand? I really don't know what's going to happen next. But we're going to roll with whatever God does. If there's a need for us to pray for you, we'll pray for you. We've got a team that will pray. We've got anointing oil just to do what the Bible says. Let's anoint people with oil. We love doing that. I fully expect that some of you are going to receive healing without anyone praying for you. Why? Because God's God. I've seen Him do it before. Be hungry. Be hungry. There's so much more that God has for every single one of us. My prayer, my heart's desire is that you'd see the fire of God in your life. You'd never be the same again. Let's sing.